Welcome! Welcome, St. Louis City fans, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is producer Mason, a man who just loves that new TIFO smell. How are you doing today, Mason? Oh, it's lingering. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> oh, it was a, yeah, it well, yeah. fantastic, a, a real aroma you could sink your teeth into under that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were very happy to not see the TIFO, but hold it up. And also joining us from his studio cave in a West St. Louis County is a man who won't let using public transportation or a lack of a ticket to the match to stop him from going downtown to share a victory with all the St. Louis City fans. It's Sean Campbell. What's your level of joy like today, Sean? Oh, I am on cloud nine, even if I don't sound it. It's like I like I said at the tailgates. At, uh, you know, just wanted to be downtown and enjoy this this experience with 35,000 of my closest friends. And here we are. We're, we're getting ready to get down to the nitty gritty about it. Yeah, and it might have been more than 35,000 downtown. Now, there might have been 50,000 milling around with uh, only half of them being actually to get in the stadium. But a fun time was had by all standing in line to get uh, concessions and refreshments or perhaps relieve themselves. But that's what the joy and excitement of your first home match is going to be. And it sure was that. Slafly was a great venue, but uh, I did stand in that line for like 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and that, that beer line got to the point where, you know, you stand in line, get your beer, and then you had to go right back and stand in line again because by the time you're done, it's, you're you know, by the time you get to the front, time for another beer. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the that's the uh, the the least I've ever drank at a uh, at a pregame. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, well, log- just logistically. <laughs> Actually, for uh, you know the way we felt this morning, that's probably a good thing. And uh, but uh, yes, there was much excitement going on. Man, the crowds, the crowds, man, there was everywhere. You couldn't find a place to hardly even stand amongst everyone. That's the way I like it. That was a blast. So let's get right down to it. Let's talk about what happened in the game last night, uh, because that's why we're here. Uh, City came out, a little change in their starting lineup. You still had Berkey, Nowinski, uh, Nelson, Parker, and Ebert in the back. Bloom was in uh, to start. Leuven, you had Ostrak and Stroud. This time, instead of Rasmus Ulm, you had uh, Nicholas Giacchini, starting up front along with Klaus. So they came out in a 4-4-2 formation. And to take on the visitors from Charlotte, they started uh, Cisniega in goal. They had Bronchio and uh, Byrne on fullbacks, Tulioma, Malanda in the back, Shinishiki, Jones, Westwood, Joviak, Capetti, and Zversky uh, up front. Uh, the forwards on this team did give us some trouble, but uh, no, we'll get into that. Let's give you a rundown of the way that the uh, game flowed. Uh, at the start, the first 20, uh, 25 minutes of the match, City came out, as you would expect, with all the energy from the home crowd and being at home, uh, really putting Charlotte under a lot of pressure and had control of the game. But they just couldn't find a goal. A uh, couple of uh, good stops by Cisniega kind of thwarted that, and then completely against the run of the play, uh, Capetti got a goal for Charlotte. Uh, kind of a shocker in the stadium, and sure for everyone watching, to be down 
a goal already in the game that we were dominating up to that point. Uh, then Charlotte took control of the match, as the game flows will go, until uh, City got out, made a nice play, got a nice little cross in the box, and uh, Charlotte's Bill Tulioma went ahead and tried to head it over the bar and put it out and uh, did a, just a beautiful header, just right over Cisniega, right in the goal. Tied up the game, another gift from an opponent for City, as many might call it. We'll have more on that later. And then a little later in the half, another little gift, but again, set up by good play. Uh, Nelson tries to get the ball into the box. Saversky sticks his, jumps up, has his arms out, hits him. It's a penalty. Uh, Edu Leuven went ahead and took the penalty and scored, and we go into the halftime with City winning 2-1. to one. And uh, cheers were plenty. Uh, into the second half, not as much going on. Uh, a lot of substitutions, you might expect. Uh, in the 65th minute, Rasmus Alm did come on, replacing Stroud. And then the 67th, uh, Charlotte makes a couple. They had Santos come on for Shinishiki and Vargas for Svidersky, uh, their DP. Uh, didn't seem to help him much with those because in the 71st minute, thanks to a uh, fortunate back pass, uh, at least for City's viewpoint. Straight to Klaus, another beautiful little chip finish for him, and it's 3-1 to the good guys. Uh, City then makes some substitutions to try to close out the game. Indiana Vasilev, a.k.a. the Mass Crusader, comes on to replace Ostrak, and Samuel Odideran comes in to replace Giacchini. Uh, Charlotte finally had a substitution. Gaines came on for uh, Westwood and midfield. And in the 88th minute, uh, the last substitution for City was Miguel Perez coming in. The 17-year-old, his second straight game to start uh, his MLS career. And he replaced Klaus to get more defensive presence. And so it finished. 3-1 to to City. Two games to start the season. Starting off... uh, Kicking off City Park in MLS with a big, big win, and they fully deserved this win. Uh, they really outplayed Charlotte for a vast majority of the match. And um, what's the first thing you guys want to talk about? You want to talk some goals? Shall we talk some goals? <laughs> it's goals, baby. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, goals. Just I'll have more on it later. You, you yeah. go first. <laughs> all, all we really want is goals. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't want the first one. That was Enzo Capetti uh, scoring in the 25th minute. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this goal? I, I think mean, he was offside. I hate to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still don't. think he was offside. I still no, think he, he was offside. He wasn't. He was very much not offside. Um, no, it was, uh, as much as I hated it, it was just, it was a, Great finish from Capetti. This is the last thing I am going to say positive about the man, probably for the rest <laughs> of his career in MLS. But that was a fantastic finish from him. Really good service and from uh, from Svidersky. That their DPS. That's what you want them to do. And um, yeah, broke the press. So defenders are out of position. This is going to happen a lot to us this season. It hasn't killed us yet, but it's going to happen. And. It just completely beats Berkey. You know, that's that's three shots on goal, three goals. Not a good look for him, but all three times, there's kind of nothing he can do. So he's been absolutely yeah. fantastic outside of that, though. Like he's his distribution has been on point. It, his distribution has been great. <laughs> it's been absolutely 
banger after banger for distribution from Berkey. And this was, you know, they broke the press completely against the run of play. City's dominating, should have already been up perhaps even two goals at this point. Uh, but they weren't. Um, they break the press. Their DPs all got in on this goal. Wozniak, um sets it up, gets it out to Saversky, who puts in a beautiful cross. And Capetti uh, got some space and uh, redirected it with a, you know, it, it would just bounce off his head. He put it where he wanted to, away from Berkey. Berkey really didn't have a chance on this one, kind of bang, bang. It really was a beautiful play. And uh, against, we said that they had some talented attackers. Uh, that's what you get. You can't yeah. stop them always. There's that, and, you know, We've said it before, we'll say it again, uh, you know, much later than this, I'm sure. But you live by the press, you die by the press. You know, sometimes you're going to be pushing up high, trying to get that turnover upfield, and you're going to get burned by it. And I think this ended up just being us being burned by it. Yep. Yeah. But uh, really, in the balance of play, the high press has been the best thing for us. Uh, City so far, and everything that comes off of that. Let's talk about that second goal, the uh, Tulioma own goal. What did you see on that one, uh, Sean? Oh, this was, it was a good service coming in, and what happened was Tuoloma actually goes up. I don't think he was trying to head it over the bar. I don't think he was trying to get it anywhere going backwards. He just wanted to get, make sure he beat Klaus in the aerial battle and get to that ball first, and then where he was going to put it was an afterthought, and he just happened to hesitate too much and just backwards past his own keeper absolute brain fart at the most crucial moment of that play and this is really funny because klaus doesn't even go up for it <laughs> yeah yeah he's absolutely. just a big guy <laughs> yeah klaus just he's he's getting ready to, he's just and then standing Loma there goes up over behind him is like oh i guess you're not i guess you're not challenging i win <laughs> and now what do i do it's like a dog who caught the car and doesn't know what to do with it and and one of those gift goals that city keeps getting but a lot of that is the big man in the middle uh klaus Putting pressure on him, backed him into position, and he just um, kind of mistimed his jump on that. I'm not sure if it's just because Klaus is a big man. I think a lot of it is, even going back to that Austin game, a lot of it is the high press. And like I said in our preview, you know, it was out with, out pace, out last. We did all three of those things, and this goal is a very, this one and another, and the, the, the Klaus goal at the end of game, it was outwitting them. We put the pressure on them. We made them make quick decisions, and they made the wrong choice on both of these occasions. And they ended up in the back of their net and really burned them where it counts on the scoreboard. This is a product of the high press. It's not always beautiful, quick buildups and just burning runs and then quick shots that are amazing. Sometimes it's just getting those bad mistakes to happen and forcing them by mentally tiring out the opposition. That is true, and it really played a, played a big part in uh, the third goal of the first half, City's second. Uh, this one was set up. Uh, they get the ball. It started off with a beautiful distribution on a rollout from Berkey. Catches, um, I forget who it was making the run down the side, but they found Nelson, who was streaking um, up the left-hand uh, side out wide. He gets it down into the box area. Tries to make a cross into it. Zversky is in the box. He jumps up, flailing arm, hits his arm, and uh, clearly a penalty. Uh, Charlotte, as is, was their want for the whole night, just got all upset, except one person on Charlotte didn't really 
uh, wasn't too loud about the call, and that would be the guy that committed the penalty. That's kind of telling, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. If he's quiet, he knows he, he, knows he messed up, and <laughs> he's yeah. just kind of let it go. This, this is a penalty every time. Ten, oh, ten, yeah. ten times out of ten. Oh, yeah. um, and I've like, seen red cards we'll, given for less. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into this narrative of getting given gifts. Is yeah. every penalty that you see called a gift goal? <laughs> like, come on. No, this one was from uh, Nelson's run. Uh, had him backpedaling. Uh, they get the ball to him. Berkey starts with Berkey's distribution just right down the channel. It was fast. Of course, getting the penalty doesn't get you the goal. You still got to convert that penalty. So upsets Edward Leuven. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of that, PK, Sean? Absolutely clinical finish. Textbook PK. You know, there's only two places you want to put it. There's only two places you want to put it, low and in the corner, or high and in the corner. And it, wherever you put it, you got to strike it fast, and you got to strike it hard. It doesn't matter how much little stutter step cutesy <laughs> you try to put on it. At the end of the day, you still got to put it out of the keeper's reach. And, you know, sometimes they guess wrong, sometimes they guess right. But even if they guess right, if you put it far enough in the corner, they won't get to it anywhere oh, yep. and that's exactly what what Loven did with this and I don't I don't think even if um Cisniega had guessed right he would have had any chance of getting to that ball that was so in the corner it might as well have hit both posts if he got to that one it might have been the save of the year come to save of the decade if he gets to that ball and uh it looked at first like it was going to go over but he hit it in the back of the net in the uh, top left corner there beautifully like that was his mark and he hit his mark it was just a beautiful pk and on, on the broadcast it looked like it was going over from where we were in the north end no that one was in the back of the net all day every day now if you're lower it looked fine if you were up high though it might have looked differently uh and that was essentially the last kick of the first half big comeback for city again they found themselves down in a match and uh Within a few minutes, able to come back and equalize it and take the lead. It's a great thing to see from an expansion team. This is not common in expansion teams very early in the season. Uh, and then finally, we get the Klaus goal. Uh, basically comes from Melanda, the young center back, the Frenchman, uh, that really had a great game. Really, probably the reason why this game was even close was between him and Cecilia uh, breaking up uh, all of the uh, city chances to score. But in this one, as what happens into the high press, it doesn't give you much time to get comfortable. Uh, this time he was on his own, got the ball, was trying to pass it back to uh, the goalkeeper, got a casual, got lazy. There's Klaus. He does a nice step out, stops it, uh, gets it, and then just a beautiful little chip right over the goalkeeper. Yeah, um, and this one is big, too, because this all starts from it looks like Charlotte Scott is heading the other way. They're all moving forward, and uh, it was credited as a blown because it sound, it looks and sounds like a blown play, but it was actually Giacchini steps in, has a tackles from behind, takes the ball away, and starts heading backwards. You know, another, another high-end giveaway or uh, turnover, and... Giacchini and Klaus are putting pressure. They're hounding them back. They lose possession, but now everyone needs to cycle back from Charlotte. So they're resetting. And um, Melanda passes to Cisniega. Cisniega passes back. And Klaus is just loitering. 
And it's like, I don't know how you missed this big man in the pink shirt, but I guess they didn't see him. And yeah, he goes for another casual pass back and Klaus just sticks his foot out there. And he's like, that's mine now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen this happen a ton of times where you pass back to your keeper with the with a, an opposing striker right there. And usually they're just like, oh, I made my run. I got to recover for a second. And they just don't even they don't even yeah. poke a stick at it. And Klaus is like, oh, hey, that's my job to poke sticks at those mm-hmm. passes. Yeah. And does it. And 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 I think that's very much what happened with Austin with a little bit of did he call for it or not. But well, OK, Where, where's all the crying that, you know, Klaus was, you know, Milan's teammate last year. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be a lot of that, is there? But um, I think they also underestimated just how big Klaus is. And it's like, he can't reach this. Oh, yes, he can. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> On that also with the high press, you know, if you're all up in their grill all game asking hard questions, uh you sort of become invisible. You're part of the landscape sometimes. And when you get tired, you know, fatigue hits the mind first and crazy things can happen. And we've seen it twice in two matches. And uh, this is really something that is in the plan of the style is to work them so hard that you for kind of force them in even into their own mistakes. And uh, that's why these aren't really gifts. It is part of the plan. And uh, after that goal, that was in what minute was that? 73rd? 71st. 71st. Still had some work to do, uh, but really City kind of uh, put it away. Uh, Charlotte, as they did in their opening season loss at home, uh, had a few chances, a couple of them pretty good, but uh, they weren't threatening. They never got City under pressure, uh, so that worked uh, it worked out quite well. Uh Let's take a look now at some of the key moments that you guys found throughout the match. Uh, Sean, I'll let you go ahead and start this one off. Yeah, my first key moment uh, that that I really think it, it wasn't quite a key moment per se as much as persistent effort across the game that came to a head in one moment was that that build up into the change of possession that got us Klaus's goal. It was... Blom and Giacchini both pressing on on the player with the ball. Um, both of them had some really good recoveries and tackles throughout the entire game. But that one specifically, seeing that happen, and even though they lost possession high at the pitch, they went right back to it. Um, seeing that and knowing that even late in the game, we can still get that kind of energy and press from our players is going to be absolutely massive going forward. Granted, it's a long season. We've got 32 games left, but... I mean, on this pretty set schedule where we're not playing three games a week sometimes, I think we can come to expect that at least some point during the game. But it was absolutely glorious to see, you know, even the even the striker coming back, checking in and and, and winning the ball back in, in high opportunity areas to actually turn up field. Absolutely glorious teamwork moment. Love to see it. Uh, one of the big key moments to, for me in the match was something that was really a negative uh, for City. It was the first 20 minutes when City was, you know, thoroughly on the up in this match. We really could have used a goal and kind of had a feeling that they need to get one while they can. Uh, Klaus, very early on, uh, who was it? Was it Giacchini or Leuven put a nice ball? He's open in the box, but he didn't get his feet set. I don't think he knew he had enough time. A tiny little touch to get himself over the ball, he probably scores because he's all alone. But instead, he's leaning back, not set, and sends it over the bar. And then uh, Cisniega, 
uh, just a uh, Thomas Ostrak. We saw it in Next Pro. When he gets a little opening and he can put his laces through it, he can send a rocket in. And Sisniega made a fantastic save on that. Just really eye-poppingly good. Uh, that I thought it would be a goal. And eventually against the run of play, Charlotte did take the lead in this match. Um, then another key moment uh, started somewhere around the 34th minute, uh, all centering around Enzo Capetti, and uh, really points out Charlotte's lack of composure. I, I, I motion we ca- start calling him Crybaby Capetti. Yeah. God, this was embarrassing to watch. Well, it all starts when he's in the box. Uh, Nelson's behind, does lay an arm on him. And he goes down in the box, goes to VAR. They, the play continues on, but it, it goes to VAR as they all do. And um, meanwhile, uh, Capetti just starts laying down on the pitch in his own end, rolling around and, you know, making a fool out of himself, basically, is what we all in the stadium thought. Uh, well, I don't think he was rolling around and crying yet. I think he was still hollering at the official. Well, that was right after the play. Then he started to run down and then went to the ground. On the rewatch, I did notice that when Nelson uh, and him, when he went down and Nelson went over him, he did step on Capetti's ankle, uh, which must have hurt. But it didn't stop him from complaining to the official about not getting the penalty for a minute before he went down. Uh, Meanwhile, on the replay, and VAR agreed, Capetti was already going down. And all Nelson did was give him a forearm to the upper shoulder. Man, you're going down and it's that little bit of a touch from behind. You're not likely to get a penalty kick for that. Oh, no, that's Uh, just jostling for position at that point. Yeah, you know, it's up to the official. But a lot of times you're just not going to get the penalty for that. Um, But then he's rolling around on the ground and he's complaining about this call just ceaselessly. It just kept going on and on and on about it. He gets and, in uh, Berkey's face about it while the play's at the other end. He's jawing at Berkey. They're jawing at each other. And then mm-hmm. Capetti takes like like walks like three yards in front of in front of Berkey and then just sits down. He just yeah. sits down. <laughs> he's down for a long time too. And all they, of they that, call the trainers out because he's throwing a fit. <laughs> the the great thing about this is while he's doing all this mess and slowing the game down, they only gave three minutes of stoppage in the first half. So Ted Uncle to his credit, didn't buy any of that crap. Um, He didn't give him any time-wasting, didn't give him any benefit for all of that. Of course, Charlotte, uh, under the high press, got a bit of a breather, but so did City's defense. And at that time, they were a little under the cosh by Charlotte. Uh, And the funny thing is, at the beginning of the match, I turned to Mason and I said, Capetti's a a problem. He's dangerous out there. Uh, But him getting all upset and getting so passionate about this one call after that he wasn't much of an issue to be quite honest and as a matter of fact he was still jawing about it at uh, halftime going into the locker room it almost seems as if you know complaining to get calls that aren't really there is just a big part of his game or something well he did play in the argentinian league and in south america complaining about calls is a big part of the match you're always looking for some advantage and uh i don't know Maybe it does work on officials there. Uh, ever since uh, Howard Webb came in to run pro, it hasn't been working very much on MLS officials. 
Uh, enough can't be said of the work he did with the officiating in MLS that turned it from something that was just terrible to something that's actually pretty good overall in the world stage. And that's why the English Premier League went and stole Howard Webb, brought him over to try to fix their officiating that had deteriorated so badly. Um, so that was a big key. And that wasn't the only part about them losing composure. Ashley Westwood, what, 10 years in the English Premier League with Aston Villa and Burnley, uh, yeah. comes over. <laughs> a guy uh, who long rumored to be a very calm and composed presence. <laughs> yeah, and, and for much of the match, he seemed to be that way. Uh, he, When they were on the up in the first half, he was really dictating a lot of play in the midfield and uh, negating a lot of the press for City. Uh, but uh, there was a couple of plays... Were these in the, yeah, these were near the end of the first half before City scored. Uh, Charlotte's still putting some pressure on them. There was one, Kyle Hebert um, goes out and uh, takes a handball in midfield, uh, got the yellow, kind of looked like he knew what he was doing, a professional foul. And then a little later, Parker's kind of on an island with Capetti. He goes in, makes a hard tackle, but studs were down. Uh, he does get a yellow card for this, and Charlotte goes nuts. They go absolutely yeah. nuts. They surround they the official. The yeah. yeah. Uh, Westwood, the captain, he gets shown a yellow card for all of this, for protesting. Here's the thing. What are you protesting? You, you got, got the foul. He got the card. <laughs> but they didn't get the card the color they wanted. And, I mean, no. props to Ted Uncle for, for not giving that red card because it shouldn't have been given, but also... Going back just a touch, um, Hebert shouldn't have gotten a yellow for that handball. He his his arm was out in an in a yeah it was way out from his body, but in the way that he was making a move, I've seen that be called a natural position. I'm not saying it should have been called. It should have 100, percent but I don't think it should have been a card. But he did well, give a card right. the other I direction he, he... for a very similar thing in the box, and I'm you know that's consistency. I'll give him that. He got the card, I think, for mostly for yeah, committing a professional foul for breaking up an obvious breakaway. But he didn't move yeah. his ball, his arm to that ball whatsoever. His arm was out in as he was making a body movement, and then the ball came off the foot and went directly into his arm. That was it's ball a, to hand, not hand to ball. I'll put it this way: under the laws, that is clearly handball. Period. It should have been called one hundred percent. I give you that, yeah. but it should not have been carded. Uh, Swiderski should have been carded and, well, and got what he yeah. deserved. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. From what I saw in the stadium to what I saw on rewatch about the way the officiating was, I had a little change of heart on it. And I got thoughts on that, and I'll get back to that a little later here. Um, but, yeah, that showed their lack of composure. And coming out in the second half, uh, they had a very good chance in the first minute. And after that, they only had, like, one other really good chance the entire second half. It's like all of the kvetching. Um, and crying and whining. You know how much uh, St. Louis loves whining. Um, th they just seem to be tired, flat, like they spent all of their emotional energy that they had complaining about everything. And it sure looked like if Capetti stopped complaining and played, he might have been a danger child. But instead, all he wanted to do was complain with the ref, and it seemed to take him off his game, and he was nowhere near as effective in that second half at all. Any no. other key moments you guys came up with? Um, I, once again, Berkey's distribution, but 
there was one that stood out to me. It didn't come to much, but there was two interesting play. Like it was the same play, but two interesting things for me was was after a dinner round had come on, and Berkey has takes a long throw to uh, to the near side where dinner on is hits him on the toes. Are you kidding me? And then a dinner on turns and makes the most dogged run up the sideline I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, he came. He would surprise me uh, at dinner on when he came on. Uh, another big one was Charlotte not converting some couple of really good chances in the second half. The first one was in the very first minute coming out of the locker room. Joachini had a bad giveaway in his own half, uh, and they were going the other way really quickly. Nathan Byrne has it. He's at the edge of the box. He's really wide open. He's got Berkey standing there. He decides not to shoot, try to get it into the box and make that pass, but Parker gets there and sends it out for a corner. They get that goal and tie it up in the first minute of the second half. The whole tenor of the game changes, so that was a big key moment. Um, And then later... There was a great header by Santos, point blank, point blank on Berkey, and Berkey was up for that and stopped it. Those were the yeah. two big ones they had uh, in the second half. But really, okay, St. Louis City pretty comfortably just closed out this match, I thought. Yeah. One last key moment is uh, Blum, uh, kind of after kind of surprising a lot of people with how long he went in match day one, goes the full 90 here. I, he's ready. And oh yeah, oh boy, is he good? <laughs> oh yeah, he. That's I. I ran into a couple of people in the subway or on the Metro Link on the way back home, and we talked about. We were talking, you know, who we think is the 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 most important player on this team, who's doing the best at the moment. Granted, we're two games in, and I was like, well, I think my money's on Lovin, and he's like, well, I think it's Blom because Blom has been absolutely fantastic. I was like, you know what? You're right. I agree with you. It's Blom, but the two working together in the midfield are important. Blum was in to be the stopper, uh, you know, the backline uh, destroyer, so to speak. And that frees Leuven up to use his skills with uh, ball distribution and ball handling to be a true box-to-box midfielder. Uh, So by Blum being in there and doing that takes away all uh, so much of the defensive responsibility away from Leuven and then he gets to do the glory things. So really, they're tied together that way. It's always going to go to the more offensive player unless there is no offense, and then you'll start looking at defense. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I I think that even uh, there was a point where Blum had lost possession, hounded. I don't remember what guy it was that had it, but hounding this guy. And then like they get up towards the attacking third, and then Blum just, just takes it off his feet. Just, boop, that's mine give that back like it was so the cleanest tackle i've ever seen oh he's got absolute skill when it comes to getting that ball back if he wants it back nope that's his ball now he's gonna take it and he's gonna go home and and say all right that's it guys game over i win yeah he was he did have a couple of wayward passes a little sloppier than he was when he came on for austin but not by much and nothing really hurt uh but uh he was able to just break up so many chances, so many passes, uh, and really left Charlotte scrambling without a coherent attack uh, for most of the match. Uh, let's move on in a little bit, and I'll ask you guys a couple of questions. Um, Mason, I'll start with you. What did City do that you expected, and they did perform very well in this match? 
converting free gifts from the back line. <laughs> you expected that? <laughs> you know what? No, you're fair. Um, but no, I, the the high press is working, man. The motor's humming. Um, it it was doing everything it needed to do, and also after the first game, the the way that they hold possession, um, you know, uh. Blum, of course, we saw it, but, um, you know, Leuven as well, holding possession in the midfield, their distribution, um, a lot of passing for this high energy, high press team. Um, it's, it, it does build out of the back. It just builds so fast. So, um, yeah. And that all came off the same way it did in Austin. So Sean, you got a, something that, uh, came to pass as you thought, I know you had some distinct thoughts about how well, it should go for City. Well, in. to be fair, I did call a 2 nothing win for City, but I did I did say, so I got the increment of the win right. I did also say Klaus and Loven would score, and that they did. Um, I did also say Berkey would have to make a couple saves late, and he did. But more importantly, I was expecting, especially after what we saw in Austin, a very effective use of subs and... I expected better energy management so we didn't have as many lulls in the energy as we did in Austin. And the guys came out and they did that absolutely fantastically. I didn't see very many moments where it seemed like guys were really dragging to try to get back. They were measuring their runs a little bit more. They weren't running as hard, you know, harder than they needed to off the ball. The subs came on at the right time for the right guy and they made an impact on the play and really filled in the slot that they needed to. Um, I, it, it was just game management, for lack of better overarching term. Game management was fantastic, and if we can keep up that fantastic game management, there's no game we cannot win. Now, the, there was a point where Stroud ran up behind somebody, just gave him a shove. He looked like he was getting a little tired, and that's about the point that um, he was subbed off. So uh, the coaching staff and Bradley Carnell were on top of it. They could see it, and they made the change. So that's the only one I saw. They're much better. But then again, the opponent was different. Austin put them under a lot of pressure. They used a lot of energy to try to keep uh, Austin under wraps. Uh, one thing that I expected to see, and this isn't all a positive, was to uh, play the way they play in attack, pushing forward and leaving the fullbacks on an island and allowing the opponent to uh, overload the fullbacks. Charlotte probably should have done more of that, but they did do that on occasion. And it created some rather uh, scary moments in a couple of times. But Charlotte just wasn't coherent coherent enough in their attack to put those chances away. Uh, what did City do and do well, or not do well, but you expected to come in the match? I'll let you start with this one, Sean. Wait, isn't that the same question? That, that you didn't expect. Did that we not. didn't expect. Okay. Just making sure. Um, something they we didn't expect to happen. Uh, I didn't expect them to let up a goal, but that's my personal bias and not like anything actually talking about the team. Um, one thing I did not expect is I did not expect them to come out in a 4-4-2 and actually change their formation to a completely different style, um, yet somehow still get the same style of play and really only changed one player from the starting eleven. And, and it, I mean, Indiana Vasilev started on the bench and Blum started the game, but 
he played the majority of the game last game, so I considered him part of the starting 11 in my brain. But they only changed one player in the starting 11, and that was Joaquini started over Alm, and they come out in a 4-4-2 instead of a 4-2-3-1, and somehow still made everything work and not look like a completely different team. And and, and I was not expecting that at all. And, and they did it very well, and great job to Carnell again for you know, having a good strategy for a different opponent and, and managing the game. It's, I, I don't know how he hadn't had an actual coaching job beforehand as a head coach and not just as an interim. Yeah, it is surprising. And supposedly uh, with his uh, Red Bull experience, uh, he had chances, but took this job on. Uh, yeah, with the four four two, a little bit more attacking oriented at home. Should have expected it, but I really didn't. We've got a lot to learn about this club. Another thing that surprised me was using a dinner on coming in and using him as a big holdup winger. And uh, Jake Zivin on the uh, broadcast pointed out that that's the success that he had in the USL Championship uh, with uh, Tacoma Defiance and with uh, San Antonio. Uh, and I guess that's a big part of his game. Instead of just being the big guy up front, he has the ability to play on the wing, and they were doing the passes out wide, and he was able to do hold-up play like a striker, but also be able to play as a winger. Uh, just not that familiar with his game, but learned a lot on that. Mason, anything stand out for you that you weren't expecting? Um, yeah, uh, two things. Um, how well Giacchini and Klaus played off of each other, um, because with the with the two up front there, um, you can sometimes get overloaded, get confused, lose which one of you is supposed to be doing what, but, uh, it was, it, you know, uh, it was always Klaus, the main guy, the big guy, and Giacchini was the feeder and that never really changed. They always played in sync with that in mind. Um, and then also, um, this wasn't surprising that they did it, but how successful it was with Nerwinski and Nelson coming up and being very integral into the attack with their big crosses, you know, that cross from Nelson that led to the handball from Swiderski, that cross from Nerwinski that goes for the Tuiloma own goal. They were big pressing up there by the box, were pretty important up there. And uh, one last thing uh, I really wasn't expecting and this goes overall for the season so far, is this is a team that insists they have no wingers. They just have wide midfielders. But so much of their attack has been coming from the wing. This was on the broadcast, and Taylor Twelman pointed this out, but I found it uh, notable. Um, 70% of the attacking play has come on the wing from this team. Uh, at least they're balanced, 35% on both sides. So just a little bit up the middle where Klaus is, so much of it out wide uh, for a team that doesn't have any wingers. Just kind of struck me. Uh, I, funny, I will say funny the way they the, talk. I, I will say on that winger comment, though, I, I I don't think they're really lying to us so much as it's just we have midfielders that play wide, but they're not true wingers in that they can play anywhere in that midfield and fill a spot. It's just they happen to be filling a position that's out wide. It's it's honestly it's a matter of semantics. Because, you're right. Like, you're right. Ultimately, and one one thing of that, there's fluidity in the system. Ostrak played primarily on the right, but he'll often come in the middle. And that shot he had was actually in the uh, left side channel uh, when he snapped that shot off and had forced a really good save out of the goalkeeper. So that's a a point to that. 
All right, guys, time to move on. Let's uh, get some of the other thoughts uh, that you had about the match and uh, start off with something that we've touched upon already is, uh, you know, I was at the match. I was very unhappy with referee Ted Uncle. But as I rewatched it today on uh, MLS season pass, I have a different appreciation of how he managed to keep control of the match that was constantly teetering on the edge of utter chaos. I mean, there was a lot going on in this match that needed uh, refereeing. Um, Sean touched on it earlier. Some of the yellow cards seemed a little bit soft. But as I watched it, I was wondering if he was flashing those to just kind of keep control a little bit over the match. A lot of those came in the first half that was really raucous and kind of wild, and he was fighting a lot, like on the one corner where he stopped the kick, what, three times to get Capetti and Blum from stop fighting in front of the net, like it's always going on. Twelman's like, you need to be that. But I think he was trying to garner control. Things were getting rough and chippy out there, and I think he was trying to gain control. He had um, to do that that corner thing again late in the second half. It ha- it keeps happening. <laughs> yeah, and uh, on that one, it's really funny. He walks over and talks to Blum and Capetti about you know guys, watch it, watch it. Capetti immediately puts his arm around Blum, pushes him out of the way, and uh, Uncle calls the foul. I it's like I just told you don't do that, and you do it. Uh, it kind of shows them how they lost composure in this match. And, yeah, really, uh, really soft- had a don't make me tap the sign moment and then had to tap the sign. Yeah. yeah, and some of the yellow cards, there was a lot of them in this match, probably necessary to be quite honest on rewatch. They were soft, but they weren't egregious. Um, I know this is probably not going to be a popular take. Uh, what do you think about it, Sean? Um, like, like I said earlier, my biggest thing with refereeing is is just consistency. Um, making sure you're calling fouls on for both both teams. If they do the same thing, you call it on both sides of the ball. I co- I totally understand. You know, throwing a yellow card out there if it's a little soft just to get control of the game and be like, hey guys, look, hey, I'm the one that's deciding how things happen here. And if you're not you're not playing nice, I'm gonna. I do have this thing in my pocket that I can use. Don't make me use it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I won't say Uncle was bad. He didn't have a bad game as ref. I will never, ever in my lifetime see a perfect referee in my eyes. I guarantee it. I will always have something to say about, oh, well, he could have been better here. He could have been better here. But yeah, uh, Sean, notorious referee respecter. Okay, okay. (laughs) I do make sure to compliment their shoes when they can hear me because they do always have the most pristine boots of anyone on the pitch. I will have to say that. Um, but if a ref gets a call right, I will give them their props. But on this one, I, like there were just a couple of calls where, you know, and, and they were right after each other too, where he wouldn't call it when Charlotte did it against us, and then he'd call it immediately when we tried to do it right back to him. Um, I did see a couple of calls that were on the fence to be made in the first place that he did in the flip where he would call it on them but not on us. And I was like, well, hey, you know, I guess that's just him being consistently inconsistent today. But no, he 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 did a, par- a fairly good job of of controlling the game, and it really could have gotten out of hand, and we could have seen a lot more chippiness, especially getting into that late game. And uh, one thing I gotta say is, how hard are city practices? Probably should try to get up there and watch one sometime, because every time there was a hard tackle, Charlotte was up and crying and whining. Uh, most of the ones that were hard tackles against City 
And they jumped up, got the ball, tried to get it in play. It's like, oh, this is not as bad as I get in practice. Is kind of the thought that I had. <laughs> I mean, considering that, like, we've got we've had players that have <laughs> been out for knocks that they took in practice. It seems like they practice as hard as they play. And I mean, part of that could be not just you know they practice real hard, but it, it could also be that Lutz and Carnell and Hackworth and everybody involved in that coaching staff has really drilled into the players from the start. Hey, you play until that whistle. I don't care if you get blasted from behind and and your legs ripped off. You get up and you try to keep playing until you hear that whistle go, because that's the only time you can stop and really start complaining about stuff. But if if you don't hear that whistle, that ball's in play, and we have to win it back and get it going upfield again. We we're not allowed to try to get the call and then end up burning our back line in the in the process. And it also kind of shows how Carnell's got everybody to buy in. They are focused on winning the play, winning the moment. Charlotte was focused on a lot of other things, and ultimately the result and the way the game played out, especially in that second half, really showed who had the the sharper focus in this one. And I think that's telling. It's still early days in the season, and things can go wrong for City. And uh, expansion teams, it can go wrong really quickly as a matter of fact. But right now, there's a lot of positive signs around this team uh, that just honestly, more positive than I really ever dreamed of, to be quite honest, right now. And it, it mm-hmm. seems like a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, when they brought in the players, when Hack when Hack and, and Lutz were out, you know, scouting players out and Carnell as well, they, they didn't just bring in guys that they liked. They brought in guys that would buy into a similar system that had the skills to fit it so he they knew who they were getting and were looking to get guys that had that that could build that chemistry and not just like oh we need a a good big striker man and someone who can be a blaster in the back of the midfield they had to find guys that could do that but also that would work with each other and I think uh this this might be getting too into the weeds with it, but I think a lot of that might have to do with some carryover from Josh Yarrow and his captaincy of City 2 last season. Um, really being in that locker room, even though he doesn't have the armband right now, um, you know, so you, you have more than one guy that everyone rallies around as in the captain. You have a group of players that really bring it together. And having someone who has been in the system for a year and can help get these guys that are on the same level and have MLS experience or have played at a top level to really buy in and seeing that, hey, he buys in, he knows the league, maybe I should buy into, and then that 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 chemistry comes with it is absolutely amazing to see, and it could take us nowhere but up. Yeah, and I thought that this was interesting. We were listening to um, a podcast that had Tom Timmerman, the Post-Dispatch beat writer, on as a guest, and Tom said that, like, you know, things can change and we'll see how they get when I'm asking hard questions during the dog's days of the season – but at the moment, he was like, it seems like a big part of building this team was just going out and finding guys that aren't jerks. <laughs> yeah, he was on a Charlotte podcast uh, that we listened to because we saw he was on there. And Tom did a very good job on that. Uh, but yeah, and, and all these players knew, for the most part, really knew what they were getting into because uh, Lutz had said that he specifically targeted players that he thought would fit the system. Uh, not really dependent upon how big a name they were, but how they would fit exactly how you wanted the style of play to go on that. So that yep, we see it. We see it happening in front of us. And right now it's really exciting. 
No, Luke's we'll see how the rest of the playing season plays 4D out. chess and going out yeah. and building a culture from day one. You know, you were getting on my nerves with that. And I was like, all right, look, the the riding for Lutz can calm it down. But I got I got to hand it to the guy. Two and oh, 100 percent undefeated in franchise history, baby. <laughs> and let's not forget Bradley Carnell's part in this. He's yeah, really got the team humming in a way that I don't think anyone anyone really expected, maybe within the club. And uh, another thought I had, and this goes back and I know everybody, might, especially Mason, has something to say about this. There has been a lot of talk in the media about how many gifts opponents have given City, and so they're lucky. But this, these have been the kind of mistakes that pressure causes. And uh, as we saw, you know, casualness or panic can turn immediately, immediately into a goal. Uh, Anything more to share on that thought, uh, Mason? I mean, yeah, but they're all kind of jumbled and incoherent thoughts. Um, But like... I think that my big thing for it is that when you just describe them as gifts, when you describe them as like, you know, you know, easy, simple mistakes, you know, like, oh, these teams can't be making this, these kind of mistakes. You're taking away the agency from the work and the, like the active effort that the team and the players are putting in to generate those. Like Carol Swiderski didn't bend over and touch the ball with his hands. That was Nelson, like making a massive run up the line and putting in this cross when we have players in the box that's a dangerous ball no matter how you slice it um you know Nerwinski, that's a dangerous ball right down the middle right down the cut at the big man and klaus is there putting pressure on tuiloma um you know <laughs> klaus also kind of tricks him into going up just because he's so big but you know that's the kind of, you, you make your own luck you sure you can call us lucky you know even all the way back to like you know jared stroud with that austin goal was he doing a little bit of gamesmanship? Sure, I don't know. But, like, he's in the right spot. And also, if you're Kip Keller, you can't fall for that, man. Um, and, yeah, like, um, Joe Akini and Klaus, you know, breaking up that play, pushing them back after they're already forward, forcing them to reset. And then Klaus not not resetting, lingering, hunting. And, and they get real casual back there. They'll just pass it back and forth real lazy. And Klaus knows this. And so he's learning around and... He's got big legs. <laughs> he's he's standing somewhere where you think he's out of reach, but he's not. Like a Hellcat yeah. lying in wait. That's right. You know, he goes, uh, he uh, can sometimes look like he's stomping around like uh, Herman Munster sometimes back there. Um, but uh, he showed great delicateness on his two goals so far. Uh, it's a word that uh, uh, one of the announcers in the Austin game applied to him. And he was pretty quick on his feet like a dancer. Uh, stealing that ball and reaching out and picking it yeah. off and, what, and turning what a it around he very had on it. Yeah. What a touch he had on it. He's at full extension. You'd think that that thing's going off the sidelines. He corrals it at full extension and then left foot chips over Cisniega. Are you kidding me? Y'all, he uh, is he, Brazilian. He, Remember yes. that. He is Brazilian. That is that that is just part, part of, of their of their part and parcel with being a Brazilian striker is having the deftness of touch to take a, a ball with even just your big toe and have it be right exactly where you want it to be. It's the fluidity in their game. It's the prettiness of their game. They they play like dancers with the ball. It, it is gorgeous to watch, and I'm glad we have one on our team. But that that is part and parcel with being a Brazilian attacker. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, 
You guys have any other thoughts about the match and the way that the game played out? This one's not very notable, but I did notice that, like, we talked. Uh, I was talking about, you know, even back in preseason, this team's got grittiness to it. This team's got bite to it and fight back. You know, another come up from behind victory. And also, on a, you know, a personal note, Indiana Vasilev, the guy who got his big nose broken in the first game, comes in as a sub wearing his face mask, takes it off. He doesn't like it. <laughs> And another one that uh, surprised <laughs> me is uh, Jared Stroud. You know, he was started the first season with Austin, got in a lot of places, didn't have much finishing, kind of on the periphery, didn't play hardly at all last year. But he's come in here, and uh, he's just a dispassionate, dispassionate, stone-faced assassin. There's a real steel edge to his game. That I kind of like. He, he really personifies grittiness on this team. And I wonder if that's really why he's been the starter. I'm not sure everyone had him picked to be a starter in the first two matches. Uh, he's been intrinsic to what they're doing, either on the ball or off the ball so far. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that just goes that just goes to the point that we're not in practice. We're not in training. We don't know what goes on behind these closed doors. So. You know, we can see what we see on the pitch, but that's all we have to go off of. We're not getting paid the big bucks to make those decisions and see who's actually fighting to, you know, play those big minutes. Yeah, and uh, also what we don't really pay much attention, well, we do, but probably should pay even more, is he's from the Red Bull system. He knows the uh, how this uh, style is played. He knows uh, Bradley Cardinal's system that he's under, so he's probably taking a leadership role, especially early in the season just because of that as well yeah and then also just uh we didn't get to see a lot of it dinner on but like when we did like really stood out just that dogged run he made he fighting tooth and nail for every yard and would not give that ball up and made it all the way from the bat from like the neutral throw zone up into the attacking third corner wrong sport but yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's no neutral zone in soccer neutral third, neutral, <laughs> neutral third whatever midfield i don't care there we you go. know what i mean new term mason uh, you've been you've been talking this game long enough i'm gonna start calling you on misuse of terms <laughs> i don't know what it's called because i don't care midfield uh <laughs> uh we've got some stats for you and these are kind of notable um Possession, everybody talks about how much they had the possession. It is so overrated in the modern game. Uh, Through Saturday's matches and uh, going off of some back-of-the-envelope computing, uh, taking off something Taylor Twellman said in the uh, broadcast, MLS teams with 51% possession or more so far in this MLS season are combined 3, 5, and 16. 16 losses for the team that holds the position in MLS this season. So overrated. Um, It it really is becoming almost a useless stat. It was so important when Spain and Tiki Taka was out, but that's now been 20 years. So let's give it up, folks. Um, Another good stat for you. This is interesting. If City can win at Portland... (laughs) That's going to be a tough task. Um, They will become only the second team in MLS history to win their first three matches. The only other one to do that is Sean calls them the Death Star, the Seattle Sounders in their first season. Uh, Boy, that's that's going to be a tough record to match. 
not just the opponent, but just doing it as an expansion team. That's tough to do. I do have one record that would be tougher to break. Um, and this one comes from Texas and not the one you're expecting. I guarantee it. Uh, let's, let's look at the Houston Dynamo for a second. And, uh, their first two seasons in the league, they won the MLS cup back to back. That's going to be harder to beat than three in a row, even though we're going to yourself, but uh, I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to do it. I'm just saying that would be a tougher record to get to. Yeah. But that team moved from San Jose. So that doesn't really count. They they weren't, they're tactically an expansion team. No, they were not an expansion team. They just transferred the the franchise to Houston. Very, uh, very frustrating that one Futurama joke has now made like the pedants the world over the most annoying people <laughs> right? trying to be technically correct. You say this as I have that exact episode on in the background. So <laughs> I, not, I, I know, knew you did. I the- knew you did because you're that kind of. <laughs> Mason, you've known me for too long to expect anything less than from that than that from me. <laughs> uh, uh, another thought that I had, you know, think about these St. Louis City players coming in to MLS. Uh, they have started their MLS careers two matches in. They got one coming up in Portland. That will be playing their first three games in some of the greatest, most raucous, and exciting environments that MLS has to offer. Maybe some world-class environments and atmospheres to go in. Austin, St. Louis, and then Portland. Um, Interesting to keep in mind. Let's see if they move to, say, uh, the empty environs of, say, Houston, Chicago. Dallas hasn't really been filling their stadium. There's teams like that on their schedule. They go into there, and it's kind of dead, and fans aren't very passionate. Uh, Let's see how much they feed off the energy of the crowd. It's something to note. I don't know how they will react or what I'm expecting. It's just something I'd like to see is how much this team with this style feeds off the energy of the crowd, no matter and where it, they're playing. I think that'll come down to how well our, our fans travel. Yeah, but it just could be an environment because they were lively in Austin. Our fans traveled well, but they were overwhelmed. And Austin is pretty awesome in the way they support their team. Right, but if you go to Portland a, a- is the the touchstone of it. And St. Louis showed that they're going to be one as well. But and if you also, go to like, a you place know, even if, no even fans. if you get a <laughs> you get a plane with twenty two thousand five hundred of your closest friends, Soldier Field's still going to be cavernous. Well, that's true. So, just a thought, just a thought, something to keep an eye on. On that, uh, okay. Who were some of the notable players for you guys in this game? Uh, of course, it's a designated team, so picking out individuals is not really what's on the cards, <laughs> according to Lutz. But, uh, oh, by the way, overusing the term designated team, J. Sam Jones of MLS Soccer, well, actually one of my favorite writers, he was overusing that. He's still using it. He has become a fan of this team, if you read him this week. Uh, he really thinks they're balling out in MLS this year, and he's kind of impressed. But... Uh, that being said, uh, who really stood out for you in this match? Leuven again. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? Uh, Leuven again. Um, Blom again. Klaus. Um, Gica, uh, Nico Giacchini. Uh, I was quite impressed seeing him play off of Klaus like that. Um, and then uh, Nelson and Nerwinski. I was impressed with their runs, like I talked about, up into the attacking third. I thought that they did well doing that. I'm going to have a bit of a, a bit of a, probably a hot take here. Um, 
I know I talked a lot about Lovin, about Klaus, about Blom, and a little bit about Giacchini earlier, but the players that I really noticed doing the right things, even when it wasn't as important, and that kind of stood out to me, was Parker and Hebert. Those two have formed a wonderful bond back there in that, as that center pairing for our back line. Um, I even noticed that Tim Parker, not on a set piece, but during the run of play, was on the opposing end line. I was surprised by that. That stood out to me. But the two of them, they're, they they seem, they did really well in, in the Austin game. But in this game, they stood out to me by not standing out. They were defending well enough that they didn't have to make as many crazy last-minute interventions to save a you know stop a play from building they they cut it out when they could before it really got a chance to build out by you know cutting the run short or making it so that they you know they weren't out of position and I, I think that's something that needs to be said and recognized is that you know sometimes by not having to make the big plays you're doing more for the team and by not standing out you are standing out to me yeah oftentimes with center backs if you don't hear their name much they're doing their jobs uh, another telling fact is uh, how few shots Berkey has saved. Uh, usually when uh, he's given up a goal, uh, they've been burnt. And there just hasn't been very many shots on goal by the opponents. They're not getting to goal. And uh, they have a lot to do with it. I was impressed by Nelson. I know he impressed a lot of observers last year at Cincinnati. And was uh, a lot of picks to be picked in the expansion draft though not a lot of people know about him. Uh, another one that has, and we mentioned him earlier, is Jared Stroud. Boy, the guy's just a little piss out on the field, just doing the dirty work all the time. Uh, so that's big. And I was impressed by Giacchini uh, in this match. He was really effective. And, of course, Leuven, Klaus, and now Blum, uh, since we've seen them, uh, I'm just expecting them to do what they're doing, to be honest. Uh, maybe getting a little spoiled. It's only two games. It's a long season. Uh, but uh, that. Uh, so we talked about that. Who's your man of the match? I'll give it to Mason. Uh, well, actually, one last notable player. Okay. Miggy Perez, <laughs> Perez gets minutes again. He's doing the right things again. He didn't get a lot of minutes this kind of, this game, but even those few minutes he was out there, he was still in the play, breaking stuff up, doing the right things. The kid once again looks like he belongs. And um, I just want to say, I think we've mentioned every single player on the pitch except for Berkey as a quote unquote standout player in this game. It, it, just about, it feels like it. We didn't mention <laughs> Ostrak. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, because his rocket got saved. He does so <laughs> well, guy. but he just gets, I mean, it's almost like he's getting overshadowed a little bit by the rest of the the attacking mid like the midfielders by that that midfielding anchor pair of Blom and Loven they're just so dynamic but Ulstrak has also been very good it's just they get they they're more noticeable because they are actually involved in the scoring or in big tackles Ulstrak's going to going to score a howitzer and we're all going to be screaming his name yeah, uh, some people put a lot of expectations on him this season, one of those being me. Uh, but you have to remember, he's still pretty young, man. He's only 22. That's pretty young to be a professional soccer player, to be quite honest. Uh, so now we talked about, well, every player on the pitch. Uh, <laughs> who was your overall the man of the match? I'll let you start off on this, uh, Mason. Uh, so official man of the match was Edu Leuven. 
And once again, I think I have to agree. It was Ed Uluven. Um, he just, he does all the stuff right. He's a key piece of that attacking, uh, that attacking engine. And he also got the game winner. So you agree yeah. with that, Sean, or you got somebody different. I, I can see the validity in that. Um, and I definitely would say that, you know, if you're going purely off the stat sheet and, and, and noticeability like that, yeah, man of the match. Um, but I honestly think purely for his work rate, it on both sides of the ball and all areas of the pitch, I'm gonna have to give it to Joaquini personally. Um, I recognize that everyone's gonna look at me like, oh, what are you talking about? He didn't score, he, you know, blah blah blah, missed a pass or something. I don't care. The work rate that he put in in this game was just absolutely fantastic. He was on the ball whenever it was anywhere close to him as best he could be. Um, he made some great passes. He was incisive with them when he actually completed them. It was just beautiful to see. I have to give it to Giacchini. That's a very good shout, Sean. Could easily give it to Blum as well, but uh, I, I'm going to say it Uluven just because in the attack, it all goes through him. But the team does play as a single unit very well so far, though Bradley Carnell had some uh, things of improvement, he thought, after the match. He didn't think the press was quite as coherent or as immediate as he would like, so they can work on that. Did seem to disrupt Charlotte very well, so we'll see how that works out when they go all the way across the country to Portland. Uh, some of the guys in uh, MLS Next Pro that came from overseas did make the West Coast trip. Not all of them. For some of them, this amount of travel for a league match is going to blow their minds. Anyway, uh, that's what we had this week. What do we got next week, Mason? Next week's Portland. Um, Saturday on the 11th. Um, kickoff is at 930 Central. Um I think we are staying home for this one finally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but um, uh, keep your eye out because um, I've heard rumblings of watch parties from the punks and the Luligans. So um, if you're looking for somewhere to watch the game, keep your eye on Twitter, social media, all that. Yep. Um, I'm sure you'll find some friends. Yeah, you don't have MLS season pass. You could find somewhere to watch it uh, and watch it with friends. Uh, Chris Zimmerman is not with us on this. He had other things going on at the time of recording, but uh, he had some other game day thoughts about, well, for one, the TIFO. He put a lot of work into that, and it was quite impressive, to be quite honest. Uh, he does say that the uh, TIFO was very comfy to sit on because they had to store it somewhere <laughs> after it was rolled back up. It, it's there's not a, a, yeah, there's... <laughs> Not like the tarps at Bush Stadium where they come up and they just go away. That's not there. Here's um, a great photo of Chris and Stu sitting on the TIFO rolled up in the bottom row of the supporter section. He did want us to share, and I saw this on Twitter as well, that he spent 40 hours of his life working on it with an amazing, dedicated group of people. And seeing it go so smoothly is the highlight of his night. It did go quite smoothly. Uh, thank you to everyone who helped, big or small. Uh, on that nice thought there chris and uh he also wanted to shout out a special thank you to the saint francis cabrini academy for letting everyone use their space for three weeks to get this tifo done that's community work that's what a tifo's all about so it was great uh mason and i were there at the match we did our part by holding it up 
but uh, we're geographically challenged, so we didn't weren't able to put in a lot of hours. If you go on, uh, if you go on Twitter, the uh, TFO account, which is I believe I didn't write this down, St. Louis I think City it's St. TFO. Louis City TFO, yeah, yeah. Uh, they did put out a whole thread with pictures and video of, of the whole process of making this monster of a thing. And a lot of people still are confused to what a TIFO is. They think the team does it. They do not. TIFOs are done by the supporters out of donations to supporter groups and donations to the cause specifically for the TIFO. And everyone there is volunteering their time. And it takes a lot of man hours to put out something so big that it covers a section that holds 3,000 people. I think a lot of people also thought that you just get it printed and you just buy it. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it does not work that way. It's a labor of love for mm-hmm. supporters of the club. And yeah. uh, that's why you don't see them every week. Don't expect one <laughs> the next home match. No. It takes weeks to put these together. Now, yeah. what you uh, could but, um, see is potentially there was an extension of it where everyone had those little... Poster oh, the cards card that display. they could hold up that made the flank yeah. the the St. Louis City flag and all for City on the on the side of the stadium. It was that we could potentially see every game, and I would love to see something like that every game. Every yeah. game, I think, is a little bit of a stretch, but yeah, that card display came off great. Um, I guess so. I, we didn't see it. <laughs> oh, you, there's a beautiful picture of it on the cover of yeah. the St. Louis Post Dispatch. It for those of mm-hmm. you that are still reading in print media, more power to you. You probably already saw it, but if you haven't, go get it. Go get a copy of it if you can and frame it because that is a part of this great and deep running soccer history here in the real soccer capital, St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's said. a there's a fantastic overhead shot of the stadium. Well, uh, the support section has their TIFO down and then you can see the card display in the stadium and then in the back is all the city lights in the arch. That is a fantastic shot. Um, and then on the TIFO account, I really enjoyed, um, you know, the thread with all the photos and, you know, the making of and all that. But if you don't feel like reading, um, they have a time lapse of painting the the main, the center component that I really enjoy just watching it all come together. So I would at least, at the very least, check that one out. And kudos to everyone involved. Just a, a deep hearted mm-hmm. thank you to everyone that did put their hours in like our own Chris Zimmerman did. Yeah. Um, although recommendation, next time make it smell better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that just comes with the territory of the materials to be used, all right? Well, I you, you, you it probably won't take what you can get, okay? It, it probably won't be so pungent if they have the rigging up next time cuz yeah, we probably. won't be underneath it like the big the big umbrella thing in gym class. We need somebody to donate a uh, 55 gallon drum of free for breeze uh, for the next one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well, hopefully the club puts rigging up so it can hang. Uh but that's another discussion for another day. And uh, that pretty much wraps it up. What a day. What a night it was uh, in downtown St. Louis yesterday. Uh, hopefully you were able to make it down you know, like Sean, whether you had a ticket to the match or not. There was a whole lot of excitement going to be had uh, down there. Uh, Sean, you went to the watch party. Uh, where did you go to watch the match? So I ended up uh, just hanging out at, at the Schlafly Tap Room. Um I toyed with the idea of going to Beffa's, but at the same time, I realized, you know what? 
the Santos were there, and I heard it was a great time, but I figured, I, you know, most with the size of the Santos that I saw meet up with the March, I may just want to stay at Schlafly. Um, <laughs> so I can't speak to Beffa's. If anyone was there, I, I can't say anything about that experience, but Schlafly was, it was full. It was a great environment, uh, met some new friends, and it was just it was just a great time. There was they, they managed to get the TVs all on point. Although we did have another issue with you know one was a couple seconds in front of the other, but that tends to happen when you are doing a live stream on an you know a internet service yeah. provided thing as opposed to cable channel or whatever. Yeah, but it was it, a great it's time. Honestly, like <laughs> the TV thing, like it's kind of a bummer. I get it, but like you're just people are just gonna have to get over it. <laughs> yeah, you're just I've we're just gonna happen. have to deal. It's the nature of the I've beast. I've seen it happen all over at sports bars. Yeah, there's just a delay with the wiring, uh, to be honest. Uh, did hear, didn't make it down to Beffa's pregame. Thought about it, but we always seem to be in line for something. <laughs> uh, heard that Santos did a great job, and uh, we're still trying to, we'll try to get uh, Santos onto the podcast to talk about what they do. They're doing it very well. It's just here with the uh, lead up to the season. Just to have a quite got time to nail it down. Things will calm down a little bit now. And uh, now they calm down, we have a special show announcement. Uh, does it really affect uh, how you, your listening experience to this podcast? But we are pleased to announce that soon we'll be joining the St. Luligans Podcast Network. And then we're pretty excited about it, to be quite honest. We'll have more details upcoming. And, uh, you know, other than a network bumper, there'll be no change to the listeners. We do intend to still support all supporters groups as we've always done. That will not change. It yeah. seems, however, <laughs> that we are now officially no longer unaffiliated. <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah, we've we found uh, we've, the most comfortable affiliation we can find. Let's say we, put it we, that way. We've been enlisted, um, yeah. but yeah, we've been teasing uh, show news for the while. This was the good news that was yeah. in the works. The yeah. bad news has been put on pause. Yep, that's pretty much uh, just gone away. And uh, again, tip of the hat to the St. Luligans for inviting us in. Uh, hopefully, we had some technical issues last week, and we didn't do our full MLS roundup. Not everybody's all that interested in our MLS roundup, but we like doing it. Uh, but uh, we're going midweek, uh, hopefully get out a preview of the Portland match and do an MLS roundup at that time. But I think uh, for this show, we've talked on and on enough. And uh, I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your recovering bad team fan, Sean Campbell. <laughs> and we are... The Soccer Capital Podcast from the soccer capital of America, St. Louis. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.